Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 19, going through 25. Um, The book of Hebrews is really an awesome book in in the New Testament. Um, It is so unique. It is so awesome. Um, there's, there's a lot of things to know about it, but, but we're going to kind of boil it down. I'm going to give you sort of a recap, which is, first, the person who wrote it, we don't know. <laughs> we're not sure who wrote it. Some people say Peter, some people are Paul, some people say Luke. There's some decent debates over who wrote it. We're not really sure, but it's a very old book. We know it was being used in the church very, very early on with the Gospels and Paul's letters, so we are certain that it is is an origin somewhere in the very earliest church with the disciples. So um, we know that. It's also a book that's certainly written before 70 AD. Why do we know that? Well, it talks all about the temple. And, and the, the people that it's written to were so accustomed to going to the temple to do all of the temple stuff for their God, and now they're not allowed to, right? And also they don't have to. That's kind of what the book of Hebrews is about. Like, we don't have to do that because Jesus is the perfect temple, and he is the perfect sacrifice. So you don't have to go to that old temple with the old sacrifices. We've got the, the new temple, and he is the perfect sacrifice. You don't need that priesthood anymore because he is our perfect priest. The whole book is about that, and um, it doesn't mention that the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. To be like writing a history of New York without mentioning the Twin Towers coming down, you go, oh, that was written before 9-11 happened, yeah. So it's, it's pretty obvious and pretty clear. This is a very, very early, early work. Um, and it is speaking specifically um, about coming together as a body, not in the temple ways once before, but now as a, as a Christian community. And that's the topic we have for today is building a bridge to those who have been de-churched, meaning um, they once were a part of a community like this. They grew up as kids in a, in a congregation somewhere. Uh, but have some distance or used to worship all the time, but now haven't found a church home or just haven't been to church in a long time. So we're going to be talking specifically about that this morning. And this is Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works." not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, even here we have to start, of course, with a little bit of background to the, the text that we just read specifically because it starts with that word that I always like to draw attention to, therefore. Well, that means there was something here, and he's blah, 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 therefore. So the blah, 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 blah 
is all about those things that the, the people of God had to do. But very specifically, and I know this feels like we're a long ways from the topic of the de-church. I promise we're getting there. But the, the things that they had to do, the things, the things that were required of them, sometimes I think remind us of the things that we struggle with in our lives. Because they're, well, things that feel impossible. And that's where we're going to start this morning is doing the impossible. This is not the sermon point you think it is, which is doing the impossible. You love Jesus enough and believe in him and he'll do it for you. Nope. <laughs> no, that's not this at all. You see, sometimes those, those things in our lives that, that feel so hard and difficult to do, the, the things that feel impossible for us to, to overcome, or to resolve, and, and this could be anything from um, a situation that you have at work. Uh, I mean, there are, there are times here when, when I'm looking at the, the mission field that we have and the plans that we have, and, and hopefully you feel this way sometimes too, like this looks incredibly difficult for living faith to do, bordering on impossible. That's okay. God sometimes asks us to do things that are impossible to do. And it's not necessarily because he's going to do it for us. Sometimes the impossible tasks given to us, those things that feel too big for us to accomplish, he wants us to just do and do and do, even if we keep failing at it. Question is why? Why would God give us a job so big we can't do it? or a challenge so big that we can't overcome it? Well, it turns out sometimes it's, it's not the accomplishment, it's the process. And what the process of, of failing over and over and over again teaches us about who we are and then teaches us even more about who he is and what the kingdom of God is like. For example, the very specific impossible task that he gave the Israelites to do for over 1,500 years was to forgive the sins of all of the people of God by killing critters, <laughs> right? This feels impossible, and the author of Hebrews says as much. I'm going to read uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. I'll put verse 4 on the screen here in just a second. Chapter 10 starts with, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So he's saying, he's essentially, in, in the, the very first verse here, the law isn't the real thing. The have-tos aren't the real thing. They're just a shadow of the good things that are going to come. And it can never, by the things that you continually do over and over again, make people perfect. Listen to verse 2. This is great. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? <laughs> Since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. <laughs> it's impossible. God told 
the Israelites to do all of these sacrifices. And, and that in and of itself is a really cool biblical study that we could do a series on of all of the, the animals killed, right? All of the sacrifices offered. But at least once a year, we had the big one at Yom Kippur. And we know it didn't work. The, the author here, I almost said my, my opinion of who wrote it, the author of Hebrews makes it clear. It says, if it worked, you wouldn't have to do it again. If it worked the first time, then it would have worked, and then you didn't have to come back for Yom Kippur next year or all of these others. You would just offer the sacrifices, and then they would be once, and it would be done, and it would be over. But God asked them to do this thing that doesn't work, literally saying, sacrifice all of these bulls and goats for the forgiveness of your sins, and it is impossible for that to work. They never got to the point where they killed enough, where they sacrificed enough, or they offered enough. They never got there. It's, it's literally impossible. God asked them to do something, not because at one point they would finally accomplish this task that seemed impossible by the grace of God. Nope. No. It's an impossible thing that he asked them to continue to do to teach a lesson about the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Sometimes he asks us to do impossible things, not because he wants us to accomplish them, because he wants us to know how futile our efforts can be in a world that is broken, in a world that is full of sin. We are never going to fix this world. We are never going to be able to, to do enough good that there is no more injustice, that there's nobody in poverty. We, we are never going to be able to develop the programs and fund in a way that no one in the world is ever hungry again, that there's never war again. None of that is, is, is possible. But we're supposed to try. <laughs> we're supposed to do it. Why? Because as we do so, we learn just how broken this place is, and it shows us how wonderful the new earth will be, how amazing the resurrection will be. And when people, when people ask us, why are you doing this? You know, one of my favorite examples of this is, it's, it's, so, it's my favorite example because it's so concrete and clear. <laughs> We go to the refugee camps in northern Kenya, and there's 200,000-plus people. And, and we're one of the only churches that goes there, one of the only um, non-UNHCR organizations that goes there. And we arrive, and we look and go, we will never fix this. Correct. That's not why we're here. And, and people will ask us, what is this one church in, in Iowa going to be able to do? Um, the, the refugees ask us, why have you, you, you can't solve all of this. We go, correct. Our message isn't that we're here to save you and give you a better earth to live on, but we're here to tell you that the impossible has been done by God and he can give you a new earth a hope for eternity. 
It breaks the idea that we have in our head, especially as, as Americans, right? And, and this pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and if you work hard, you'll be rewarded, and all of these things that are true in God's kingdom. There is no working hard enough for 200,000 refugees, and, and now multiply that by all the refugee camps around the world, and the new refugees that are coming out of Ukraine, we can't fix this, and it's never going to get fixed. It's impossible. And, and getting that into our heads to say, this can't be fixed, we need a new one. <laughs> This world can't get fixed. We need a new one. Well, that's a great step to understanding the kingdom of God because that's exactly his promise. We get so confident in our abilities. We get so confident in in our strengths and, and what we can accomplish in our lives, especially in this community where we've got upward mobility and we've got security and, and strength of community, all of these things, we get so confident in that, we start to think, for sure, for sure, I can accomplish everything. I can fix everything in my life. And I love it in a sadistic way, I know, when God slaps us upside the head and gives us something impossible to do and goes, nope, looks like you can't fix that one, Right? And those, those are all over the place. I've, I had several conversations with friends of mine this last week, and um, one of them on Friday was, was a, a person who was really struggling to forgive somebody. And, and they were saying, it's the only person. And, and really tragic things had happened and, um, to them and, and by them, like all of that, and, and really had kind of mapped and, and cleaned up a lot of it with forgiveness and, and faith, but there's this one person... <laughs> Why can't I do that, Pastor Luke? Why can't I forgive that one person? And I'm just, again, thinking of my sermon going, um, turns out sometimes things feel impossible or God allows something to remain in our lives that is impossible for us to learn how powerful he is in giving us new life. So I don't know if that person will ever be able to forgive this other person, but they recognize if it's so hard for me to forgive, and yet God has forgiven me, how powerful, how big is his forgiveness? And I was, I was talking to a, another person this weekend and had this, this great conversation about, about grace and forgiveness, and the conversation got to this place where, where they were like, you know, it's just all of this free grace and, and forgiveness, it's, it's something we don't hear in, in every church, because where I grew up, there was a lot of um, things that you had to do, rules and, and regulations, and, and I said, yep, no, that's right in my sermon on Sunday, and it's the difference be, be, well, well, between two things, but we're going to start with have-tos and can'ts, I think. What's the next sermon point? I don't remember now at this point. <laughs> Have-tos and can'ts, I think. Yep. So verses 11 to 13 in our text this morning, I'm sorry, before our text this morning, verses 11 to 13 say, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is actually funny. So I want to repeat that. The priests, 
in this old way, they have to stand there every single day and offer these sacrifices repeatedly, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice. He took a seat. (laughs) He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, still sitting down. (laughs) He's just chilling out. Because he did this thing this one time. And we keep working over and over again like priests in the temple. And this is all the old covenant. This is all the impossible stuff. The lesson to be learned is we will never, by working, forgive sins, our own or the sins of others. We will never be able to do this. We'll never be able to accomplish it. And then God goes, I did it. (laughs) I died on a cross. They put me in the ground, rose from the dead, and then I took a seat. So I, I always like to have in my mind sort of this, um, and, and then the footstools for your enemies, this, this vision of Jesus sitting back, relaxing, feet up, you know, just chilling out. Maybe he's on the beach, he's got a drink in his hand, and he's looking over at us, just feverishly working so hard. And he's like, you know, I just, uh, I did that once. <laughs> Perfectly for all time. Now, if you'd like to stop, if you'd like to quit um, warring against the impossible stuff, you can freely come on over and chill out with Jesus and sit down and put your feet up and relax. But we're so hardwired to think that it must be something I have to accomplish, that, that I, I have to keep doing, or there's things that I, I can't do, otherwise I won't be part of the kingdom. All of that, the have-tos and can'ts are part of the old covenant. And Jesus says, as he institutes the Lord's Supper, this is the blood of the new covenant. That old covenant was to show you how feverishly working in your life will never accomplish the the impossible. But just being a part of the new covenant, you receive all of the good stuff. Eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and that perfect rest with your feet up at at the new earth in the resurrection are just freely handed to you. So we in our minds keep thinking about the have-tos and the you can'ts and, and all of this. Brothers, it's, brothers and sisters, it's sinful. It's sinful because it's not trusting. I know there's, there's just impossible stuff in your life. That person you feel like you can't forgive. That situation at work that seems like there's no resolution to this. The, the, the family member you need to reconcile with, but man, is this impossible. Maybe even because they're dead. So how, how do you reconcile? Isn't, isn't that actually impossible? And, and how, do I, how do I address this in, in my home? And all of these things that seem so impossible. Stop maybe looking for them to be solved in this world. And that ultimate problem that I was talking with my friend about always, always resolves to, I'm going to die. <laughs> this is the, the most impossible thing, is not dying. It's just going to happen. And this is eventually where the conversation always goes to it's at some point when it comes to sin and these impossible things that, that eventually this body is going to break down and there's no stopping it. No matter how hard I, I work out or how good my, my diet is or anything like this, I, I'm breaking down and I'm going to die. <laughs> it's going to happen. I, I, I have to work out more. 
I have to eat healthier. I can't sleep in anymore. I have to go and do this. I have to go to the doctor. I can't be doing that thing anymore because I don't want to die. Well, you're going to anyways. It's brilliant <laughs> that God has worked into his kingdom this warring against the impossible that is literally just part of our body. It's, it's, it's our flesh. It's, it's physically manifest in each and every one of us that the impossible is absolutely in front of us. And yeah, we should war against it. We should exercise, eat well, do all of these things for our health, even though we're going to die. It's impossible to live forever. And it should, in our minds, give us this joy that I'm going to get a new body, that this, this is all going to go away. So I'm not saying we don't war against it. I'm not saying that, that we don't, try to, to resolve the impossible because sometimes he does in a miraculous way resolve the impossible and he tells us to do these things. The, the author here tells us not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of son. Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I told you this is a long ways to go to building a bridge to the D church. Well, here it is. Too often, we think in terms of those people who don't have a church home, that, man, we have to reach them. And they got to go to church. They have to be in church. They, they know who Jesus is. Now, they, they need to. We're thinking in terms of the old covenant, of the have-tos, and they can't miss, and, and all of that. They're not outside of God's kingdom. They're only outside of God's kingdom when they say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. If they believe in Jesus and, and don't have a church home, if they are de-churched, they're not outside of the kingdom, but they're missing all of the get-tos. We don't tell them, you got to get to church, you, you, or you have to, but you get to. <laughs> you get the benefits of showing up, of a community, of friends who are going through difficult things, who are also facing impossible things. Somebody says, man, I can't fix this thing in my life. And the next person in the community goes, I can fix this thing in my life. Aren't we glad <laughs> that God gives to us new life at the resurrection? That's what we get to come to church. None of you have to be here. <laughs> None of you have to be here. Good, that's, that's great that you are here. You feel like you get to come to church. You feel like you gain something from this. But in our heads, we think of our friends or our, our family members or our neighbors. Like, Man, I got to get them to church. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't got to get them here. It'd be great. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do, to invite somebody and say, man, you should really be in church. You're shooting them instead of saying, man... When I go to church, I come to a place where I hear how freely he loves me, how his mercy is, is just given to me. I, I get stuff from church, so I get to go to church because that's where God gives me incredible things, his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, where, where kids are baptized and brought into the kingdom, where sins are forgiven, not because of all of the things I did, I had to do, or I should have done. <laughs> no, it's just given you just thrown at you, like, like he's throwing them out of, a, a, out of a Christmas sleigh, right? Just tossed down your chimney, freely given to you. That's, that's the difference in, in the attitude that we need to have when we're reaching 
to the lost people, but also to those who aren't really lost. We're just kind of de-churched. We're just sort of out there. They don't have to. And you shouldn't worry in your mind about all of the, the people who you, you know who don't go to church and, and because if they don't go to church, does that mean they're not saved? No, no. That's old covenant, fleshy, worldly thinking. But man, are they missing out. This was that conversation I was having uh, with my friend saying, yeah, I get it. All of the, the things that you feel like you should do or you have to do, I know that kind of weighs on you, but ironically, in God's kingdom, all of the pressure is taking off, taken off because he did it once and for all. So all of those same activities, instead of having to do them, you get to do them. You ever had, experienced that weird transition growing up where, like, as a kid, I had to clean the garage? I had to help my dad clean the garage. Now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, I get to clean the garage because the kids are gone. I can put my earbuds in. And like, I, now I get to do the same thing, and it feels so good at the end. Things are clean, and it's, it's the same thing. But when I had to do it, I hated doing it. Now that I feel like I get to do it, it feels great. This is God's kingdom. When you were a kid, maybe you felt like you had to come to church, and now you're like, man, I get to go to church. Man, I get to be around people who love Jesus just like I do, who know they're as screwed up as me, that, that their lives are just as big of a mess as mine is, that, that they have the same struggles and fears over death and joys over birth and all of these things together. We, we feel these things together, and it's an amazing community that I get to go to every week. That's, that's how we reach out. But it better be how we feel on Sunday morning. I'll tell you something. Uh, if you're a grown-up, <laughs> this isn't to the kids, so plug your ears, kids. If you're a grown-up and you don't want to come here on Sunday morning, don't. <laughs> I want you to feel like you get to. I want you to feel like, man, this is, this is the place where I get freely all kinds of amazing things. And if you're not feeling that way, and you're like, I still don't want to go to a church, or you're saying that, or you're hearing that from somebody else, have that conversation. Why? I bet I'd put good, hard-earned money um, that you guys put in the offering plate. <laughs> I'd put money on it that they say, well, I feel like I have to go to church to do this thing. I feel like I got to go, so I don't want to go. Well, that's not an us problem. It is a them problem. And that means you get to straighten them out. You get to tell them, no, this is, you don't have to do this, but it's good. And it's good for you. And it feels wonderful. And they'll say, yeah, but then I have to put something in the offering plate. Well, here you can tell them we don't even have an offering plate. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you can put it in the box on the way out if you want to, but you don't have to. Oh, but if I go, they're going to make me. No. Nope. You get to if you want to. You get to sing. You get to praise God. You get to receive forgiveness, and you get to have all this stuff. If you'd like it, if you want it, it's really good for you, and it's freely offered. They'll never know that that is this church or any church unless you do. 
They'll never experience it unless you do. And they'll never hear that attitude and that mindset unless you have it. So please, if you're not getting it, tell me. <laughs> and we'll work on making a better experience. But, but I'm telling you, I'm glad you're here because you want to be. Amen. And may the peace that surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to receive the benediction? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give us a place we want to be on Sunday mornings. I, I give you thanks for removing the guilt and removing the pressure and the stress of the have-tos and shoulds or cans and can'ts and given to us a get-to that we get to serve you in your kingdom, that we get to be a part of this place. I give you thanks, Lord, that I get to be a pastor here. <laughs> it is an honor and a blessing. And I pray, Lord, that you would show to us opportunities to share that mindset with other people. They, they get to belong somewhere here or anywhere. They get to be in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.